We are in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've uh, written by Solomon. Uh, He wrote uh, uh, Song of Solomon early in his life. Then he wrote uh, Proverbs in the middle of his life and Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. He wrestles in Ecclesiastes with life under the sun or the meaning of life. And so he struggles with a lot of those concepts. We've learned a lot. We're all the way up to chapter 7, and we've learned things about the idea that, that, that life under the sun, if you take God out of the picture, is really just kind of a rat race. Uh, it's meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. If you're not going to include God in the picture, then basically uh, it's just crazy. Um, there's, you can't make a purpose for life. You're just existing. Uh, we talked about the idea that life is, is, is somewhat like a recipe where God has all of these ingredients in it, and, and, and some of the ingredients by themselves are horrible, but when combined with other things, they make a great life, and we're going to kind of explore that a little bit today. And then we've talked about the different issues of life. Last week, we started with, in chapter 6 and 7, Solomon deals with two paradoxes. And last week, we dealt with the first one, which was the idea of the paradox that prosperity is not always a good thing. And we talked about how sometimes our wealth can, can skew our thinking. And that as, as an American, we are incredibly wealthy. Uh, most of us, uh, if, if you make, make $45,000 a year, okay, you need to understand that you live at an income higher than 99% of the world. You are in the top 1% of people in this world as far as making a living. Uh, and, and, and like I say, many of the struggles that other people, you know, if you'll think about it for a minute, um, we have so much water that we throw it on the ground to get green grass. We bottle it and buy it in bottles because it's more convenient than going to a faucet. I mean, we have been so blessed. I don't want you to feel guilty about it, but I also don't want you to feel upset that you don't have it better. And, and I think that's what happens. We lose perspective of that sometimes. And that's what Solomon says. Wealth is not always a good thing. And this morning we're going to deal with the second paradox, which is this. Adversity is not always a bad thing. And I know that as we talk this morning, some of you are going through some really tough times right now. And I don't want to minimize what you're going through at all. But I do want you to understand what Solomon's going to teach us in, 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 in most of chapter 7, which is this. Your tough time may not be a bad thing. What you're going through or what you have been through isn't necessarily bad for you. And he's going to walk through why. So let's dive into it, and then I'm going to end today with something that's probably more personal than I normally get in a message, but I I think it's important. So uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And uh, here's what he says. He said, and we're going to, by the way, we've got to take this verse by verse because there's just i got to unpack it as we go. So, a good name is better than fine perfume. Let's stop there. Um, in the Hebrew language, this, this is very, very important because the, the, there's a word play here that he uses. And here's what he says. A good name, the word in Hebrew is shem, S-H-E-M. Okay? The word perfume is shemem, which is S-H-M-E-N, E-M, or E-M-E-N. In other words, and Hebrew doesn't have vowels. So basically, here's the thing. There's one letter difference in Hebrew between name and perfume. Now, perfume doesn't mean a lot to us in our culture, but in a culture where you didn't bathe every day, (laughs) perfume's a big deal. 
Okay, and, and it was it is incredibly expensive, and it was incredibly necessary, and, and you wanted people to be around you who were wearing perfume. So this is what Solomon says. He says, look, a good shem is better than a precious shemem. A good name is better than something that is very expensive as a perfume. What Solomon is introducing, and, and a lot of times we talk about this as, as, as reputation and name and that kind of thing, and, and that's in the, in the context, but it's even bigger than that. Here's what Solomon's saying. It's not about what happens to you. It's about how you respond. It's about your reputation in the midst of your adversity. That's what he's introducing here. And he's saying, look, be careful how you act and how you respond when you go through difficult times. Because your reputation is at stake. It's not about what you're going through. It's about how you handle what you're going through. And then he goes on. Notice what he said. And the day of one's death then would be better than the day of one's birth. And you go, oh, what do you mean the day of death is better? Here's why. When you're born, it's all about potential. When you die, it's all about accomplishment. In other words, you know as well as I do, there are a lot of people that start well, but they don't finish well. And that's why Solomon says, look, it's important how you finish. The end of your life is the final statement about how you've lived your life. You want that to be good. So you want to handle adversity well. And notice what he goes on to say. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Since that is the end of all mankind, and living should take it to heart. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, when you look at life, the reality of it is adversity peels down what's really important. And in here, he talks about the house of mourning. He's literally talking about death. And you think about it for a minute. What happens when somebody dies? How important does your job become when somebody dies? You'll take off work to go to their funeral. How clear does your schedule get when somebody is in a hospital, in intensive care, or when somebody is ready to die? How clear does your schedule get? Everything that is, is, is not necessary gets pushed aside, right? That's what Solomon's saying. In times of adversity, you know what happens? Life becomes very clear on what's important and what's not. And that's what he says. He says, look, in a house of, then to go to a house of feasting, since at the end of all men, he says, look, we're all going to end up at a funeral. We're all going to sit around talking about what was important. So guess what? You can learn more in times of adversity than you can. And you look at your own life, right or wrong. You've learned more during the difficult times than you did during the prosperous times. That's what Solomon's saying. And then he goes on. Grief is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. Here's what he said. He said, you know what? Here's the idea. When, when you're laughing about stuff and joking about stuff, life's not really serious. It's all at this level up here. But grief brings it down to where the river meets the road. It becomes about what's really, really important. Solomon goes on, verse 4. The heart of the wise 
is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in a house of pleasure. Here's what he says. He said, look, one of the things you can learn about yourself is whether you're wise or foolish. Because he says, a wise person, he takes adversity seriously. And he figures out how to handle it. But a fool, literally, what does he do? He goes to the house of pleasure. In our culture, you know what that is? In our culture, many people in times of adversity turn to alcohol. And the reason they turn to alcohol is it numbs the pain. But talk to anybody who struggled with it, and you know what they'll tell you? They will tell you it didn't numb the pain, it just made it worse. Because then, not only did I have to deal with the adversity, but now I have to deal with the consequences of what the alcohol did when I, when I was trying to numb the pain. And that's what he says. A foolish person, he just tries to, to run from it, to get away from it, to make it go away. But a wise person, he realizes, look, you know what? i got to figure out a way through this. i got to figure out a way to come out on top of this. And then he goes on. He takes it further. He says, it's better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. For the crackling of burning thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool. It's futile. This was the idea. Have you ever thrown stuff into the fire that burns really hot and really fast but doesn't last? That's what he's talking about here. You know, when, when, when I was, when I, back when I smoked meat the right way, um, now I use a gas burner because I can control it more, but back when I did it all wood, okay, I learned that if the fire got too, if, the, if, the, if it got too cold, I could throw in smaller sticks. They would, make, they would burn a whole lot faster and produce a quick heat to get my temperature back up. But I had to keep throwing those in because they went so fast. They didn't accomplish it for the long term. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? Like the crackling of the thorns, so is the laughter fool. He says, you know what? You can bring that person in your life and they can make you laugh and you can go ha, 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 ha. But here's the reality. It doesn't do anything for you. He said, it really doesn't help you during times of adversity, um, long term. It might take the, the breather off for a little bit, but it doesn't really help long term. And then what, notice what he goes on to say. Surely the practice of extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe destroys the mind. He says, look, look, in times of adversity, and he uses a financial term concept here. He says, in times of adversity, see, it's always easy to take a shortcut. But in the end, it doesn't work. And, and, and often I tell young couples this when we're doing marriage counseling, when they get ready to get married. I say, you know what, here's what you're going to find in life. You're going to find that you're faced often with an easy choice and a hard choice. And this has been my experience in life. If you do the easy thing now, life will get harder. If you do the hard thing now, life will get easier. And there's a lot of truth to that idea. And here's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, look, be, understand that you've got to be careful here because if you start taking shortcuts, there's a price to be paid for that. And then he goes on. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. He says, look, what, what you need to understand about the adversity and difficulty and stuff as it, as it comes into your life is it has, if you will allow it, it has the ability to make you more patient and more understanding. And if you think about it for a minute, some of the, some of the most patient kind, tender-hearted, understanding people you know are people who have had a tremendous amount of adversity come into their life. And they've been able to handle it well. Because why? Because through it, they learn patience. Through it, they learn to trust God. 
through it, they learn to lean on God and not their circumstances or situation. And that's what he's saying. Adversity can do that for you. It's not always a bad thing. In fact, most of the time, if you will learn from it, if you will allow God to use it in your life, it will be a tremendously good thing. And that's what Solomon's saying. So then he goes on with a couple of, of, of ideas here. He said, don't let your spirit be rushed, to be rushed to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. He gives us a little warning here, because when you're going through tough times, here's what I find. You tend to be short with people. You tend to snap at people. And Solomon says, look, when you're going through a tough time, understand that. Understand that that's not a good path to go down. Figure out a way to call yourself on it. Figure out a way to figure it out for yourself. And then he goes on to say this. He said, don't say, Where were the, why were the former days better than these? For it's not wise to you to ask this. Uh, here's basically what Solomon's coming to us at. Look, don't spend all your time looking back. And I think too many times in life, we spend time looking back. And we spend all of our time, energy, and effort going, trying to go forward while we're looking back. Think about it for a minute. If I, if, I'm, if I was to walk from here to Lale, this is what I do. It's not that hard to do, is it? But on the other hand, if I'm trying to walk from here to Lale, and all I do is look back the whole time, now, now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, it, I, I can do it, but it's a whole lot more difficult. And this is what I see. I see people beating themselves up over the past. And not understanding. You can't go forward looking back. And everybody goes, oh, you know, it's like, look, I love the people who were here at the beginning of the church. But I hear some of them go, oh, I remember the good old days. When we could stand up and we could invite everybody over to church to come to our house and have chicken noodle soup or potluck or whatever else. And we could just all of a sudden on a whim do it. Yeah, I miss those days too. But they were not the good old days. Because, see, I remember coming to church going, I can only drink one cup of coffee because the water table's too high and we have no restrooms in the basement. And if I have to take a leak, i got to go over to Liz and Earl's house <laughs> and then come back in time to preach for church. Those were not good old days. And I think we forget that because we have this selective filtering when it comes to the past and the good old days that we forget all of the stuff that came with the quote-unquote good old days. And that's what Solomon said. He's saying, look, you're not going to be able to go forward in your life when you're looking way back all the time about what was or could be better or I remember this day or what about that time. You can't go forward. And he warns us about that because what happens in adversity, that's what you start to do. You start to say, oh, I wish it was like da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's a dangerous place to go. And then he goes on. Um, wisdom is as good as an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. He said, look, you really want to have, an, you really want to have a, an inheritance that's worth something? Then learn wisdom. Learn, learn how to handle the stuff that comes into your life. Stop fighting it. And figure out what good can come from it. And he goes on. He said, for wisdom is a protection, as money is a protection. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. If you will learn, and I will learn, that as difficult times come, we step back and try to figure out what we can do to be wiser in that adversity 
How we can handle that in a wise way, he said, it's a protection, it's an inheritance. It will do so much for you long term. And then he goes on. Um, notice what he says in verse 13. Uh, consider the work of God, for who can straighten out what is made crooked? In other words, it's the idea of this. Look, God is at work here. Don't forget that. Uh, one, one writer said it this way, God has two hands, an active hand and a passive hand. And when it seems like God is not doing what you want him to do, your situation's in the passive hand of God. God's still at work. He still has you in his hand. He just needs a couple more things to happen before it moves over to this hand. And he talks about the idea that, you know, a lot of us, we think the Christian life should go like this. All the way up. Let me, let me graph for you the Christian life the way the Bible talks about it. That's it. That's a, go, look at the life of all the Bible characters. It's everywhere. Show me a Bible character when it went like this. Doesn't happen. And that's what Solomon is saying. He's saying, look, you've you got to realize that. It, it, God's at work, and it's going to look like it's a crazy. How do, by the way, any of you who do mountain climbing, not me, I don't. I, if I want to go to the top of a mountain, I get a helicopter. Um, any of you who do mountain climbing, you know what? If you look at mountain climbing thing, there is no straight way up. Even these guys who do the rappelling thing, there is a zigzagging all the way across to go from this spot to that spot. People who do the walking, there are trails that go up the mountain this way. Even driving, you will rarely ever see a road that goes straight up the mountain this way. You see switchbacks constantly moving up a mountain. It's no different for the Christian life. And then notice what he says. He says, look, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider without question God has made the one as well as the other so that man cannot discover anything that will come after him. He says, look, this is what Job said in Job chapter 2. Can I take the good from God and not the bad? Realize that both of them come in your life. Times of prosperity as well as times of adversity. We take all of it from God, and here's the thing. It's from God. It's not us. It's not ours. And one of the things that Solomon is saying here, he says, look, in the day of prosperity, when things are going great, enjoy it. Enjoy it. It is a gift from Almighty God. But when things are going tough, consider without question God's still involved. Consider without question that, you know what, God is still at work. Your response is so, so important here. Then he goes on. He's going to kind of introduce another segment to this, and then we're going to wrap this up for us. But here's what he says in verse 15. In my futile life, I've seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in spite of his righteousness. There's a wicked man who lives long in spite of his eagle. He said, look, this concept of karma, forget it. Because again, in their world, it was like, if you're rich, God has blessed you. If you're lo living long, God has blessed you. If you die early, then God was upset with you. If you don't have any money, God didn't like you. And he's already addressed that before when he, in chapter 6. But here he addresses it with this idea of, look, when I look at life, I see rich people who love God who do well, and I see rich people who love God who do horrible. And I see poor people who do well who love God, and I see poor people who 
do poorly because, and, and they love God. He said, look, there's no, there's no karma thing to this. And then he goes on. Now, you've got to understand what he's saying. Don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Now, people take this verse and they're like, see, 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 you shouldn't be like too, too out there for God. Like, just be like partway righteous and partway evil, but don't go all the way. It's not what Solomon's saying. Here's what Solomon's saying. And, and I'll give you a New Testament passage to, that goes along with it. Solomon is saying this. Don't go over to the extreme where you're self-righteous. Where there's a self-righteousness about you. And don't go all the way to the extreme where you're self-indulgent. Where it's all about you. Solomon says, there's a balance in this thing called life where you're not way over there and you're not way over there. You see this in the story. We know it as the story of the prodigal son. Okay? And we always talk about the prodigal son. It's not a story of the prodigal son. It's really the story of a loving father. And there are two sons that are involved in the story. The beginning of the story focuses on the prodigal son, the one who's self-indulgent. The end of the story focuses on the self-righteous son, who the story ends with him standing outside the party saying, I'm not going in because you're treating him better than you treated me. And the moral of the story when Jesus is teaching it is, it's about a father who loved both, but two kids who went to the extremes. And that's exactly what Solomon's saying. He's saying, look, don't be that. Don't go all the way to that self-righteous thing where you're looking down on everybody else's Christianity, and don't go to the self-indulgent thing where you don't think it's important how you live your Christianity. He said, don't go to those two extremes. And he goes on. He said, um, don't be excessively wicked. Don't be excessively foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp the one and don't let the other slip from your hand. For the one who fears God will end up with both of them. What he's saying here is this. Look, you've got to understand that as God works in your life, you can't hold on to stuff too tightly or you're going to lose it. Um, and, and, and this is kind of the, the, the whole idea here of, of what he embraces, this idea of, look, you have to understand that it is all from God. And it is not yours. Your life, your time, your treasure, your, the things that you have, your talents, they are not yours. They are simply on loan to you from God. Don't hold on to them too tightly. And we're in a culture that we like to collect, and we like to hoard, and we like to grasp, and we like to hold on to, and we like to accumulate. And Solomon says, look, 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 look. That will get you in trouble. And so what happens is we have great health for a long period of time. And then all of a sudden our health starts to go bad. And all of a sudden now we're mad at God. Because we ought to have good health and we don't now. Or, we've, or, or, or financially things start to go south for us. And oh, no, 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 God's mad at us. No, no, no. Solomon says, look, don't hold on to stuff so tightly. One guy, one guy, uh, um, Oh, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, so, so that's the idea. So let me wrap it up. Let me give you a couple of uh, takeaways and, and, and focuses. All right. Here's the first one. Difficult times, adversity, are opportunities for you to grow and stretch. Now, you have two choices when they come. You can fight them and not learn what, what, what you could learn. You can run from them and end up being foolish. 
and, and, and all the stuff that comes with the, the, the foolishness of trying to, to fight God. The focus is not that you have adversity. Because at some point, we're all going to face adversity. The focus is, how are you going to handle it? What's the end thing going to be for you? How are you going to struggle? And what I see sometimes is we allow that adversity to define us, and we've got to be careful with that. Because there are so many other things that can define us rather than just that adversity. And, and I want to challenge you because I think sometimes we get the idea that, that when adversity comes, it's because God's mad at me. And, and I think if you study your Bible beginning to end, you'll find just the opposite is true. That God has and wants to use you in great ways, greater ways than he could probably use other people. Because when you look at the Bible characters that you admire, some of them went through some of the toughest stuff. That's why you admire them. Because they were faithful. Because at the end, they stuck with God through everything. I think another lesson in, in this chapter is this idea of don't, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, and here's what I mean. You know, he said, look, find that balance. It's not about being self-righteous. It's not about being self-indulgent. It's not about focusing on the past and everything else. I, I think sometimes we take ourselves just way too seriously. And we take an event that happens in our life and we psychoanalyze it and dee, 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 and we pick it apart a million different ways and look at it a hundred different ways when here's the thing. You know what it is? You know what came into your life? Life. So figure out what you can learn from it and go on. But what I see is things happen in people's lives and they spend all their time looking back saying, oh, I wish you wouldn't have done that. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I wish you would have done this. And oh, I couldn't have done And they're not going forward because they're taking all this stuff so seriously. And, and I'm not saying your life's not important, but I'm saying I think sometimes we put too much stuff in the events that happen to our lives and we allow that to sidetrack us from living life. And then we wonder, again, Jesus didn't come just so you could go to heaven. He came so that you could have life and life abundantly. I'm not just spending my time on this earth to punch a ticket to go to heaven. I'm spending my time on this earth to appreciate and value and enjoy the life that I have been given by an almighty God. And the fact that I'm a Christian and I know that the second I leave this, leave this world, a better one awaits me is just icing on the cake because it's awesome. That's what he's saying. And I think we forget that. We get so bent up in all the things we didn't do for God and we woulda, coulda, shoulda, da, da, da. Just go do it. Stop beating yourself of, oh, well, if I wouldn't have done this, I could have done I, Yeah, I, I could have been a millionaire probably. I don't know. And I really don't care. Because I got a great life. I got a great life. Last thing, and I think this is the, the focus of this passage more than anything else, is stop holding on so tight. Some of you have had circumstances and situations come into your life, and the reason it's hard for you is because you are holding on so tight. Let go. 
put it in the hands of God. If you want to hold on tight, hold on tight to God. Not the circumstances or adversity or struggles or whatever it is that you have lost or whatever it is that has changed. And I think sometimes in life that's what happens. We hold on so, 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 so tight and we lose perspective because we become so focused on the adversity or the struggle or whatever it is that we're going through that we miss the big picture. I like what one guy said. He said, you know, he said, one writer said this. He said, every year or every day, 400,000 planes land safely in the United States. You know that? 400,000 planes land, or in the world, I don't know. I don't remember if it was the world or the United States, but 400,000 planes land safely. You see people jumping up and down and going, hey, Flight 1026 landed in Chicago on this date safely. Yay! No. We just assume that that's going to happen. Do you know how incredible it is that because of the law of gravity and because of the brains of people, we can design a plane that's big enough to put people on to fly safely from one place to another, and we have people that can actually, most of the time, even figure out how to get your luggage there on time? <laughs> Nobody jumps up and down every day a plane lands safely or every moment a plane lays safely in the United States. But let one crash. And listen to everybody say, oh, I can't believe God would allow that. How crazy is that? How crazy is that, that we live in a, in a world that way? Because what has happened is we, we, we hang on to this thing so tightly that we completely lose perspective about what we have because we're so focused on our adversity. We don't understand how much we have been given and part of what comes down your pike right now is just simply life. Don't get bent out of shape over it. Understand there's lessons that just because there's adversity doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It can be a great thing for you. But it's going to come down to your perspective. It's going to come down to your outlook and your attitude. It's going to come down to how you handle it. Not the adversity. That's not the issue. The issue is, as we started out, your name and how you handle what comes down the road for you. And if you handle it well, you are wise. And you are investing in treasure that counts for eternity. And if you handle it poorly, you're being foolish. That's what Solomon says. And he challenges us. Um, this week, this message probably impacted me more than most messages in a long time. And I'll, I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you what, what, what happened. When I, when I work on a message, I have a whole method and procedure and stuff like that. Um, normally, I start in the text. I do all the research. I read commentaries. I read everything I can about the original language and the original meaning and the context and the history. And then I read other passages, uh, other messages, and I read notes that I've collected over the years and, and, and put all this together in this hodgepodge of thing that you hear on a Sunday morning. And I pray and ask God to help me say this and do this. And, and, and you need to understand that my approach to the message goes something like this. If I'm preaching it for me, then you'll probably get something out of it. So I just come up here every week and basically preach to myself out loud. And then my 
actually I've done this twice today because I've already done this once. So I've heard this message twice. Uh, and then I'm going to go home and my family's going to make their comments. And, um, you know, and, and it's all good. It's, it's, it's all good and that kind of thing. <coughs> what happened this week was something very unique. Had, and I don't know that it's happened before. But, um, and I asked God to work it in my life and, and, and all of that. But what happened was this. I was reading a message by another pastor. And uh, in that, he talked about he has, and he said, if anybody ever stole my laptop, here's what they would find. He said, they'd find a file called Don't Cry For Me. And he said, what I do is any time in my life that there's a significant event or something that touches my soul or something that I experience, he said, I open up that file and I add a line or two to it. And he said, so if I ever die, he said, what's going to happen is, he said, somebody can pull up that file. He said, right now it's about six and a half pages. And he said, and I had, it is all of the things that I have gotten to experience in life. And he gave us some examples. He said, for instance, it says, uh, don't cry for me, I have visited India. Don't cry for me, I've kissed a beautiful woman. His wife. Uh, you know, don't cry for me, I've done this. And, done and, and I thought, and the last lines, he never changes. The last line says, don't cry for me, I'm home. And I thought, you know, that's kind of a cool thing. So I opened up Word, and I started a file called Don't Cry For Me. And I look back over my life, over things that I've gotten to experience, over things that I've gotten to do. And I started listing all of those things. Mine's about a page and a half right now. Took me about an hour, a little over that. And I just carved out the time and said, you know what, I'm going to do this and see. I was amazed as I read through that list of what a great life I've had. About what a great opportunity I have. By the way, you should know, my family made the list. Okay? Not in the same level, but I've eaten White Castles in four states. Uh, that made the list. <clears throat> I jumped out of a plane twice at 3,000 feet. That made the list. And, and, and at the end of it, I put just a short little paragraph with my testimony that basically mine doesn't end with saying, don't cry for me, I'm home. Mine ends with, don't cry for me, I'm continuing my journey. But what happened in my heart and my soul in taking the time to do that? And, and actually, this is going to sound, I mean, this is, this, is the, this is the view that I have in life. My prayer today was, God, let me live to today so that everybody would know this document exists. <laughs> so, so I'm all ready to go now. Uh, we're good. Uh, <laughs> and if it happens soon, it'll be in the top ten things in my Word document thing of most recently visited documents. Uh, it'll be really easy to find. Uh, but anyway, I, I say it to say this. When I was done, all the adversity that I have faced in my life never made the list. Most of you know what we just went through with Doug. What did make the list was I was privileged to have a friend for 30 years who was closer than any physical brother could ever be. Not about all the junk that we went through for almost 18 months. Because what I did was I stepped back and I realized I have an incredibly 
blessed life. But what happens in times of adversity? We forget all that stuff. We focus on the way it should be. We focus on what was behind us that we laughed. And we focused on, and, and it just made me take some time and stop back, step back and go, you know what? If this thing ends tomorrow or today, it has been an awesome ride. It has been an awesome ride. And I want to challenge you because some of you are going through some very difficult times right now. And because of the adversity, you've lost your focus. Because of the adversity, you're looking at it as this is a horrible thing that's happened to me and, and I don't know how I'm going to get through it and I don't know what we're going to do and I don't know this and I don't... I'm not saying any of that's going to go away. But I guarantee you it'll put it all in a different frame. And here's the thing. If I would lose everything tomorrow and I would find myself in a bed at the gospel mission in a soup line, you can't take anything in that document away from me because it's been a great ride. And I want to challenge you because as we go through tough times, we lose perspective. And Solomon's just simply saying this, look, just because it's tough, just because it has come down your road at this time does not mean it's a bad thing. There's a lot of great things that you can learn and come out of there. And when I look back, if I, if I get super critical and start picking stuff apart and analyzing it, you'll, you'll find for a lot of those things, a lot of those things came out of a bad thing. You know, I ended up in Iowa because of a bad thing when I started seeing an organization kind of go in a different direction. And ended up in Wisconsin when the school that we were at kind of disintegrated and self-destructed. And yet, God did great things through it. And I just want to challenge you. And I want to remind you, if it ends for me tomorrow, you know, I'm dangerous preaching a message like this because I'm like, oh, what's going to happen this week? Um, I'm going to stay off ladders, I'll tell you that. Uh, no, um, again, don't cry for me. It's been a great ride. I'm hoping that I get to add to that thing for the rest of my life. And then I end up that thing being 10 or 20 pages long. And you come to my funeral and somebody decides to read it, it's like six hours later, you know. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because I've been given so, so much. And I would suggest if you started a list, you start to realize how much you've been given to. I close with this. We've got to realize that adversity and struggle not necessarily a bad thing. The issue is not the adversity, but our response and attitude during the adversity. We are encouraged to value each day as it comes to appreciate the things that God has allowed us to experience. And we're reminded not to hold on to the things of this world tightly, but to hold tightly on to God. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, there are people in here that have things on their plate 
that, Lord, as I look at from a human perspective, I could never carry. But, Lord, you have allowed it into their lives. And, Lord, they are testimonies to me of people who hold on tightly to you, even though I'm sure they don't feel like they do. So, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us to realize that, Lord, the day that we have is a gift. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it, but it is a gift from you. So, Lord, help us to enjoy and appreciate the things that we have been so richly given. And, Lord, may we be able to look at our lives and see how good you've been to us. And, Lord, not be so selfish and self-centered, Lord, that we just continually ask for more. Guide us and direct us. Use us. May the world see Christ in us. May you help us to respond in ways that bring honor to you. These things we ask in your name. Amen.